You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your respite from the Twilight Zone here at the conservative conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house on Wednesday, October 3rd, after enjoying a nice beginning of the week, or maybe you could call it a long weekend, uh, with the family for another biblical holiday. Uh, Frankly, I lose my mind without just spending some time away after constantly being engrossed in the soap opera. And the funny thing is, after our first podcast this week, I return and nothing's really changed. It's complete paralysis. Utter paralysis. I guess when you mix um, sex with the Supreme Court, the nation can't move on from that because... Uh, those are just the two most important topics mixed together, and uh, that's it. It's just it, it, it's as if this week hasn't progressed. I, I, I've seldom seen a quieter Wednesday, at least at the time we're uh, beginning of the show now, in 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 months. It's bizarre, and, and this is October, right before an election. And I get it. How ultimately this issue will wind up dominating the election. How a lot of conservatives think that. By hook or by crook, whether they're happy with Republicans or not, this might be the one issue that might mitigate some of their losses. Um, that might be true. I still don't think they're going to win this election. I still think they're going to lose no matter what. Whether this will you know, turn off some voters to Democrats, it could very well be. Um, obviously, the more that comes out, the more it seems this was a complete blowjob, a complete fabrication. And uh, you know that was a conclusion we didn't want to reach right away. We always said, "Look, you know, you you never know when a person is uh, um, lying or not." But you know, this is this is pretty bizarre. So we're going to get some insight analysis on this, on the election, some other stuff going on on Capitol Hill from our Capitol Hill correspondent Nate Madden. Um, we haven't had him on in a while, and, and he's he's a young voice you need to hear from more often. He's the guy that runs around the hill frantically, always you know, out of breath on the phone when I call him, so I could sit comfort- comfortably in my uh, sleep.com cushion, which you should get for your for yourself as well, sleep.com. Um, I'm sorry, where did I say sleep.com? I'm, I'm asleep today, purple.com. <laughs> Our... Uh, esteemed sponsor here at, at the conservative conscience. And I could just sit behind my desk and ponder things with a full brain rather than running around DC. I barely, I barely go in anymore because Nate does all that work. So we're going to hear from him in a couple minutes. But what I did want to lead off with is the narrative we've been building the last couple of shows, how we have this, most acrimonious fight between two sides when there really aren't two sides. And the only reason they're, they're using the Supreme Court is the one thing where Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell are going to talk fighting words over and, and hold the line over is so they can capitulate on everything else. Um, it's funny, my buddy Tom Matt, Thomas Massey 
congressman from northern Kentucky. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He just uh, tweeted out a couple minutes ago showing the roll call vote for the House of Representatives on the omnibus bill that they just passed. And he pointed out that there were actually more Democrats who voted for it than Republicans. <laughs> you know, so through thick and thin, all these people doing vile things, Smear and Kavanaugh, Republicans just passed a budget that is supported by every one of them. And it's still, it's still not even a footnote in the news cycle. And one of the themes I want to develop on this show that, that, that that's really starting to drive me nuts the more I speak to friends and family that are reliable Republican voters but just don't really get what's going on is that, you know, the perfidy among Republicans is so deep, is so bad, it's so quite unbelievable that it's indeed unbelievable or goes unnoticed by Republican voters because everyone would like to believe that there's two sides to a story. Right when there's so much fighting over something, well, I'm, everyone wants to be part of a team. I'm I'm for the Yankees. I'm for the Red Sox. I'm for the Colts. I'm for the Patriots. I'm for Coke. I'm for Pepsi. This country, we always have options, even if there are only two. And what happens is people project their own beliefs on a side that doesn't exist. There is no other side. You know, this is embodied last night. Well, before I get to that, I just wanted to read for you, and we'll link to in show notes, a great political article from, Bur- um, from uh, what's his name, Burgess Everett, basically vouching for my article on Monday that just because Republicans are holding the line, it doesn't mean that there's ev- any evidence that they took one look across the aisle to the Democrats and said, holy smokes, these guys are evil. These guys are so evil. Um, we're we're not going to work with them on any other issue. We're going to fight them. We're going to fight their pre- their premise on every issue. We're going to be righteous on every other issue. No, in fact, this is the issue that's used to grease the skids of the culture of capitulation on every other issue. That was the narrative we spoke about um, earlier this week. We have an article out on Monday to that effect, and Burgess Everett posts an article along those lines. Quoting Republicans, basically saying that that's the case. They're not holding the line because you know they're righteous. They're holding the line because it's the one issue that they can't cross the base on. Here's from his tweet. Why are so many Republicans sticking with Kavanaugh? Because it's a great way to avoid a primary challenge in 2020. Quote, we not only need to win fights here, we need, but we need to be seen as fighting, said Corn- Senator Cornyn, the number two ranking Republican. Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota. If we don't do everything we can to confirm good, solid conservative judges, yeah, they're going to be mad at us. And they see Judge Kavanaugh as being conservative. A lot of them think we're being played by the Democrats. (laughs) So are we going to let ourselves be played by these people? They're like, okay, we're faking to fight on one issue because we don't want a primary challenge. So are we going to indeed fall for that trap and not get involved in primaries? Or are we suddenly going to say, oh, Lindsey Graham is such a conservative hero. You're right, Lindsey. We won't try to mount a primary challenge in 2020 when you're up. Really? I mean, are we that stupid? Have we learned nothing? And speaking of primary challenges, before we bring in Nate, I want to make sure I don't forget this. 
one of the, I guess you'd say, top three storylines of the day is that Trump mocked doctor, doctor, double doctor, triple doctor, make sure you call her Dr. Ford. Dr. Ford mocked her testimony at a rally last night. It's, it's, it's big news. You know, in light of all the inconsistencies and what appears to be downright lies, um, nothing cooperated. In fact, there's you know testimony submitted to the committee that is conflicted with what she said. But but whatever, be it as it may, there's a bigger news story that conservatives should be concerned about, and that is where did he make those comments from? From where did he make those comments? Is at a rally in northern Mississippi. What was he doing there? He was campaigning for Rhino Cindy Hyde Smith, the chosen Mitch McConnell senator, to fill out uh, Cochran's term when Cochran, you know, literally could no longer hold the seat anymore because he was that sick. Now, I've mentioned to you that. The entire conservative movement has been doped up on political fentanyl and morphine and completely bypassed the primary. So everyone recognized, well, let's forget about Trump. Okay, Trump's 100% awesome. Fine, let's indulge that. But everyone agrees, even, even the Trump sycophants that refuse to you know, just have a balanced approach towards him, that Congress is at fault. The Republican congressional leaders have destroyed the mandate, have done nothing, do nothing. Okay, so you would think they would have gotten involved in the primaries, many of the candidates that we had on the show. Well, that ship has sailed, and we didn't fight, and we lost all of them. But there's one primary, so to speak, still ongoing. Because it's a special election in Mississippi to fill the seat of Cochran, and Cindy Hyde-Smith was just appointed, Chris McDaniel is running, and November is kind of like a jungle primary. So the Democrat, all the Democrat candidates, I think there's only one, and the two Republicans are on the ballot at the same time, the top two vote-getters will proceed to a runoff, I guess, in in December. So this is the last primary. This is a Senate seat. You heard Chris Chris McDaniel on this show, okay? You guys remember when I had him on, when no one else would have him on. Many people have made the case that the bloody war in Mississippi, bloody Mississippi, was arguably the beginning of the Trump Revolution. When that seat was almost for sure stolen, um, even without the fraud, clearly Chris McDaniel won a majority of the Republican votes against Thad Cochran in the 2014 uh, primary, summer of 2014. And he tossed his hat in the ring to challenge Wicker. But then Cochran bowed out. So Chris McDaniel was like, look, we're always fighting with each other. Here's a perfect case. I'll back out of challenging Wicker so we don't have a bloody primary. But you know, I'm the most well-known Republican candidate anyway to fill the open seat, so much so that Governor Phil Bryant struggled to find someone to fill that seat. They really don't have anyone with notoriety statewide. So they picked this random, lifelong Democrat rhino who voted for Hillary Clinton, Cindy Hyde-Smith, to fill the seat. Now, I told Chris McDaniels, guys, that like before you back at, bow out, 
you should get a commitment from Trump. You should meet in the White House with Trump and say, look, I won't challenge Wicker, but you have to endorse me for the open seat. Now, that never happened. So Trump endorsed Hyde-Smith, and last night he was campaigning for her against Chris McDaniel, the man who embodied his voters and their angst. To fill a seat that really should have belonged to Chris McDaniel. You heard him on the show. It's episode 203, Conservative Conscience, episode 203. Listen for yourself. Tell me if you will ever get a more articulate candidate who understands the issues. You know, you're not going to get a better candidate. This is not some, you know, oh, guy off the street. He was a respected, accomplished lawyer. He was a state senator, still is a state senator, who started the equivalent of a Freedom Caucus in the state legislature. He was actually friends with Phil Bryant until he challenged the establishment. Phil Bryant liked him. He was a promising guy. He had to, everyone agreed. They'll say, oh, he's a horrible candidate. Oh, he's not raising money. Well, yeah, I mean, because conservatives are asleep. All of the effort is sucked into Trump and the Supreme Court and now Kavanaugh and whatever political morphine is in the soap opera any given night and then any given day. Um, that's where we are now, folks. That is where we are. Trump is supporting rhinos. He is signing the worst budget betrayals. And, and there's no push. It's not even like there's pushback, but we don't have enough pushback. There's no pushback. What's the point? Assuming Republicans wind up, you know, confirming Kavanaugh, then we'll we'll get you know the latest from from uh, Nate in a minute. When the dust settles, what do we have? Oh well, that will determine whether we keep. Okay, so let, let, let's say best case scenario that we gain a couple Senate seats. And actually um, mitigate the losses in the House and wind up narrowly keeping the House. I have a hard time believing that. I think it's going to be much worse, as well as the loss of many, many governorships and state legislatures up and down the ballot. But let's just indulge that. What What next? What are we going to do? What are we going to do that we didn't have with pretty – I mean, a win is like a hold. Right, no one, no one thinks they're going to get sixty seats. Right, that that that's not possible. Even if we had a terror attack now, it's never going to happen. Right, that's just not in the realm of outcomes. So they're not going to get more power than they have now. The the nature of the Republicans we're electing are not better. If anything, on net, most seats we're losing. Like I said, I'm going to try to quantify, but you know we're losing Freedom Caucus seats, both because they're in danger to Democrats, also because. You know, several of them retired and moved on, and and they were ready. Uh, we already nominated pukes to fill those seats, assuming they win the general election over the Democrats. So, what's going to change? What are we doing about healthcare? I have a piece out coming out today on on healthcare. We'll link to in show notes. The Republican betrayal, where they fully own the Democrat premise on pre-existing conditions. Rather than pushing back and and blaming the political system and the Democrats for the pre-existing condition problem in the first place because government gave the insurance cartel monopoly over health care. Immigration, there's so much going on. You want to talk about gang rape? I had a survivor, an American survivor of illegal alien gang rape in California 
She recently spoke at a rally. She reached out to me last night. Um, maybe we'll get her on the show, talk about her har- harrowing experience, and no, no one wants to talk about that. A lot of news on, on illegal immigration, criminal aliens. That's dead. What is it we strive for? We're all asleep at the switch. Don't we have an agenda that we feel strongly about that we could wake up and push rather than just reacting to the media? Let the media react to us. And they will react. Believe me, they will. But I'd rather have it on our terms. And again, I'm not just fighting against the last two weeks. I understand this has fully consumed everything. I'm talking about it was it was like this fundamentally before that this and it was it will be like this after that. It will continue the same way. The minute this election is over with, the presidential election starts, and that's even more of a oh my gosh rally around the you know party moment than a congressional election. Everything is going to be about the craziness of the Democrats. But what is it we want? The problem is there. everyone's so fooled by the fact that there's battle lines drawn. But the battle lines are drawn 50 light years into Democrat territory. Indulge me in this hypothetical for a moment. Forget about Trump as president, McConnell as majority leader uh, you know, in the Senate, and, and McCarthy as, as a House majority leader, Ryan as speaker in the House. Let's say we had Jeb Bush as president. We had John Kasich as speaker, and we had Susan Collins as majority leader. Okay, j- just indulge me for a minute. So as pro-Rhino Democrat as you could ever get, as the worst Republicans you can imagine, okay? And, and let's say they would give the Democrats even more of what they want than the current leadership is given. But at some point, precisely because they're giving everything— the ever-truculent, unsatiated Democrats will at some point push something that they're going to have to hold the line on. It's like, okay, guys, now you give me this. Now you give me your life. You give me your money. You give me your wife. Give me your kids. Okay, now you will slit your throat for me. Well, I, I just can't do that. At some point, just because it's about power over principle, and it is officially the red team in power, and they want the power, they're going to have to militate against what the so-called Republican leadership at that point in that hypothetical is doing and is going to create this big acrimonious fight that consumes the media narrative and our side's going to be like, rally around the chief, rally around the chief. But we're missing the broader point that you're losing 99.9% of everything else. When are we going to wake up to that point? It doesn't mean that that's not a fight temporarily. Well, Daniel, would you rather the Democrats win on that? Well, no, but but you know, like I said, like I ended off my piece um, on Monday. What few people outside Washington realize is that 90% of the work in Congress is remarkably bipartisan and all in one direction. That is not the, re- that is not the direction we want it to go in. There is no evidence that what is happening to Kavanaugh will serve as a watershed moment for these people to change the way they do business with Democrats. Indeed, they just passed a budget supported by every cruel, reckless, and indecent Democrat. By the way, I'm using the language of John Cornyn that he used towards the Democrats. 
Every one of those members of that committee, including Kamala Harris, Mazzy Hirono, and Corey Spartacus Booker. Conservatives would be making a grave mistake to trust an unverified change in the behavior of GOP leadership. We have a lot more work to do than simply voting Republican for five minutes behind a booth on a Tuesday every other November. That's the punchline here. Rather than me blowing another fuse, I want to bring on our guest. Nate Manon, as I mentioned before, is CRTV's Capitol Hill correspondent. This is why you must subscribe to CRTV. Uh, He's really one of the only people around that is running across the House and Senate offices covering Capitol Hill issues from a conservative perspective. And that doesn't only mean covering what the media cares about from a conservative perspective, but also covering some of the issues that even conservatives miss. And we talk about here a great deal. And we figure we'll get the news from our source on the ground. Hey, Nate, how you doing? Doing well, Daniel. Yourself? You know, I'm telling you, Nate, you know how how much anxiety I get when I have these vacations, the biblical yes. holidays, I go out for two days. I'm like, oh my God, how do I just like, you know, parachute back in? What's going on, Nate? And am I missing something? I never remember a time like this when it's in October leading up to an election. And, you know, I'm out Monday and Tuesday this week come back online Tuesday night, it seems like everything just froze in a state of paralysis. Is there nothing new going on? Well, everything's focused on the Kavanaugh confirmation, right? So, I mean, the the main action, the House is out until after the election. The main focus, at least on the floor, that's not Kavanaugh for this week in the Senate is FAA reauthorization, which uh, a couple of minutes ago just passed 93 to 6. Everything is focused on this. Uh, the House has already done well. They've con- they considered their work done. They've left town and they've gone to campaign, and they're in a situation now where they have their messaging point. They can hit Democrats all they want on the Supreme Court stuff, and they don't really have to do anything that substantive between now and November. Wow, you know this is before we get into the the whip count on Kavanaugh. I want to get to the some of the latest on that, and then a couple other. Issues percolating through the Senate before they leave. I I spoke about this before I brought you on. I'm really struggling to conceptualize this. Before Trump became president, when you had a Democrat president, but Republicans had first the House, then the Senate, I found that at least we can get our foot in the door in focusing on some of the legislative issues we wanted as conservatives budget, immigration, healthcare, whatever it was at the time. We could at least I, I could go on the Sean Hannity show and get him to talk about it. We wouldn't win. We wouldn't have a critical mess to make a difference, but at least we could get our foot in the door. I was just joking around with you a couple of minutes ago when you were talking about them gaveling some votes in the Senate. They could pass Medicare for all. They could pass amnesty for all, and I don't think we can get our guys engaged. I mean, what what is going on? Are they all on this political fentanyl? Well, it depends on who you're asking about. I mean, rank-and-file Republicans are being led around by the nose, as they are wont to do regardless of who's in the Oval Office or whether or not there's a congressional majority. I mean, of course, you would have the small, small handful of conservative insurgents in the Senate, and you'd have the House Freedom Caucus and a few other insurgents uh, in the House that would fight stuff like this. But overall, I mean, Congress, the the arc of Congress bends forever towards business as usual. And that's the way it goes. But as far as the energy here, 
you know, spending was something that Republicans could hit Obama on when blue team had control of the White House. Now that red team has control of the White House and the Senate and the House, and they're still blowing out budgets, it's the dirty little secret that a lot of folks and like even conservative pundits don't really want to touch because there's still like throughout our industry, there's still this apprehension apprehension to call a strike when you see it. And like in in this political era, that's what the problem is. But, but it's not just them. It's regular rank and file Republican voters. What I'm concerned about when I step out of my bubble and, and we are in a bubble, you know, because we're in the people in the circles of people that do this all day. Most normal people don't do this all day. Um, I meet reliable Republican voters, and what I'm finding is the most counterintuitive dynamic where the GOP betrayals are so deep. They're so perfidious. They're so unbelievable that they're not believable. I mean, no one mm-hmm. – everyone wants to believe there's two sides. So they project upon the Republicans based on what they're seeing from the Democrats. Oh my gosh, the little Democrats are doing this, and look, look at this point of contention. And Right now the point of contention is Kavanaugh. But we've only gotten here because they've already seeded 80 yards. So at some point, you know, I, I said before I brought you on, even if you had John Kasich or Susan Collins as president, and they'd give them even more. But precisely because you're giving them more, at some point you're going to meet some sort of ground where they say, all right, President Kasich, President Collins, now you must slit your wrist, and they're just not going to do it. And you know, everyone on the right and Republican voters, oh my gosh, this is the election of our lifetime. We must – rectify the situation and let me i want to get your comment on this um and not to pick on her but candace owens the co uh head of of uh, turning point usa i was on with levin on, on levin levin's uh, sunday night show a couple months ago with charlie kirk uh the co-founder there uh but when sh- she tweeted out yesterday and, and to me this is just a perfect um case study of this when brett kavanaugh gets confirmed He's going to be so conservative that he will make Clarence Thomas look like a liberal. Dude, I mean, it's all I, I wish from her lips to God's ears. I mean, <laughs> oh, I mean, the things we do for retweets, the things we say just for retweets that have I mean, what she said has no basis in either Brett Kavanaugh's or Clarence Thomas's body of jurisprudence up to this point. But it gets retweets. It's a spicy line. It fires up the troops. It builds a brand. There's just nothing to it. And that there's absolutely no, nothing factual. To <laughs> no, no, but Nate, that. it's not just but the that, people that work in the industry. I'm just saying your average Republican voter. I think put yourself in their shoes. They look at well, what they the want Democrats to are cheer doing. For. And they, they, well, folks, like, but look at what Republicans have given them to cheer for up to this point. Tax cuts. Neil Gorsuch and look, Brett Kavanaugh is now the it's it, like this is the hill people are willing to die on because there are no other hills. They they completely bum puzzled immigration. They, they 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 screwed up Obamacare repeal. They haven't defunded Planned Parenthood in the last, you know, 15,000 budgets that they've pushed through. You know, it's understandable that folks out there in the real world outside this bubble are just are looking for something like that to root for and cheer for. And it makes complete sense that a message like that, because people you have the combination of people dying on you know the only hill available at a certain point. And the combination of just how overall facially absurd the entire situation's gotten, 
you have a confluence there and you end up with ideas and tweets like Candace Owens is right there. You know, I, I think to move on from that, I really want to get your comment on John Cornyn. Um, he made a comment and this was, gosh, it was last Friday during the vote, during the markup on Kavanaugh. And as someone who follows other stuff going on, which other stuff is still going on in the Senate, politically in the media, it's complete paralysis over Kavanaugh, but there is other business going on in the Senate. You're following that. You're tweeting about that. Um, by the way, you, uh, everyone could follow you on Twitter to see the just up-to-the-minute uh, news of what's going on that you, know, you might miss some of these votes, and it's important to see a lot of them are very telling. But Kavanaugh turned to the Demo- – uh, Cornyn turned to the Democrats, and he said that they are cruel – reckless and have no sense of decency. And and I genuinely think at that moment he meant that. He and he, he said that a couple times, you know, paraphrasing a little bit and using those same three clauses. What I don't understand is you there's no returning from that moment. Meaning if that is true, if you recognize that they are so politically oriented, that they are willing to burn someone to the ground without any evidence and, and pull out all the stops on this issue. So now project that out to healthcare, budget, immigration. Are you seeing any indication with the other work going on in the Senate that this has served as a watershed cathartic moment for people like Cornyn, McConnell, Grassley, Graham, all these people that people are like, wow, they're, they're really holding the line, that they're like, these guys are a bunch of SOBs, and, and we're going to have to rethink our work with them. Maybe Graham. It's kind of, you know, the, there have been some stories coming out of that office that he's legitimately just incensed at this entire situation. I think it's just because he has been, he has acted in good faith with Democrats for so long on so many things. And this has been, this has been their response on that. I mean, he, 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 everyone saw his speech during the hearing. Everyone saw his moment where he, where he said, you know, I voted for Kagan. I voted for Sotomayor. And I would never dream of doing to them what you've done to this guy. This is coming from a really raw place. As far as how, again, I, the arc of Congress bends towards business as usual. We just passed an FAA authorization with 97 votes from both parties. I sorry, 93 votes from both parties. I don't see how, you know, the really crucial business as usual, the desire to pass massive budgets and, and keep the government on can kicking autopilot while deficits explode and debt explodes. I don't see that changing substantially. The modus operandi in a lot of cases is still going to be there. I think there's, there's probably going to be some, some personal distrust going forward, but I don't doubt in my mind for a moment that the next time immigration comes up that Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin are going to be you know, linked arm in arm, pushing the DREAM Act all over again. Oh, boy. <laughs> there, there, there you go with that. So back to Kavanaugh, what, what is the latest whip count? Um, McConnell's promising to hold a vote that they gave them their FBI investigation, and he's going to hold a vote before the end of the week. Doesn't that mean that he would have to file cloture on the procedural motion? tonight already uh unsure whether whether uh they would need to file cloture i i always have a hard time doing senate cloture math um he says he that there's going to be a vote on this before the end of the week so i'm assuming before fly out time on friday uh you'd either he'd either have to start that he'd either have to start that clock tonight or very very early tomorrow um at least by my math but 
we need to wait and see. And who knows by the time that you actually, you know, edit this and cut this and get it out on your LA and get it published, we might have the FBI report and they might have uh, their requisite amount of time to digest everything. And then we might be moving to the procedural votes to get to a final floor. Uh, as far as where the whip count is, as we're talking about this, everyone who was on the fence at the beginning of this week is still on the fence, even though we've seen the deluge of news stories and everything else that's come out since Monday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning, that speaks in Kavanaugh's favor, whether it's that flawed hit piece about him throwing ice or the new testimony that the Senate Judiciary Committee's gotten a hold of from uh, Blasey Ford's ex-boyfriend. Dr. Ford. Uh, but, sorry, Dr. Ford. <laughs> but what I, you know, my wife's in the, in, the, in, the psych, in the psychology field. She has a, you know, so Dr. Ford has this ID. Out of respect to that, I'll, I'll say Dr. Ford. But, you know, I, it, there's not a person who seems to be really telegraphing that they'll ultimately vote no. You know, I've seen, you, like, you can go on my Twitter right now and see Susan Collins has pretty much barricaded herself in her office and she's hiding from the press right now because of what Trump said at the rally. And he wasn't mocking. He was just pointing out holes in, in Ford's story. But, you know, you're seeing that. Murkowski saying that she's going to take everything into account. It was inappropriate. Flake is saying that the comments are inappropriate. Not a one of them has signaled or telegraphed in any way that that is moving them against it. You've got, I mean, Heitkamp is under a ton of pressure if you look at the polls out in North Dakota to vote. And Patrick Morrissey is just taking the wood to Joe Manchin over this. And it's starting to reflect in those polls there as well. Wait, so, wait, wait. so Manchin and Heitkamp are the only two Democrats left undecided? Uh, from what I'm seeing, uh, McCaskill's come out, or at least the ones that everyone's realistically watching here. So McCaskill's come out against, uh, Donnelly's come out against. Um, outside of that, no one's, we're not yeah, really seeing it. that much pressure on anyone else. And that's where all the pressure's going to West Virginia, North Dakota. So, so I mean, they, so the thing is, you got Collins, you got Murkowski and Flake, three Republicans, at least on the face of it, uh, dissenting or giving them problems, pushing for the FBI investigation, they could afford to lose one and still have Pence make a tie break. Or if either of Manchin or Heidkamp cross over, they could afford to lose another one. My question to you is, you've seen this on a lot of legislative issues, but we've seen it on, on judicial nominees as well, a Ninth Circuit nominee. You have the hard rhinos and you got the soft rhinos. And what I noticed often happens is that You'll have the hard rhinos as the public face of dissent, and you'll think like, all right, well, it's just these people you got to get online. But really, the support is much softer if you start running deeper into the conference, if you had to have like a goalpost, you know, moving further in from the left goalpost of the GOP. And there's any number of, you know, other people that are like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable about this looking like a anti woman. And Sometimes the the dam bursts. So didn't we see last week already? We thought the problem was mainly Flake, Collins, and Murkowski. But didn't we see Marco Rubio? You had Mitt Romney who was going to be a senator. You had several others, and people are questioning maybe Tim Scott because those those two, Tim Scott and Marco Rubio, screwed us on a Ninth Circuit nominee uh, before with identity politics. Are there other people lurking in the background? There's always a possibility, but none that, I, that I've tracked seriously on this. You know, you... 
Marco Rubio knows he can't get away with, with pulling the stuff that he pulled on that ninth, uh, that ninth circuit nominee, as well as, I mean, Tim Scott's from South Carolina. Ah. And he's, he's up again in 2020. He knows he can't get away with, with pulling any shenanigans like that, even if he feels compelled to virtue signal along with Jeff Lake on that. <laughs> wow. I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, you'd have a dynamic um, a couple of years ago where the guy filling Jim DeMint's seat would appear to the left of Lindsey Graham. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. What a time to be alive. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. So, so that's what that, I mean, I get, I mean, this is why I just, you know, I'm reluctant to even uh, game this out because it's so fluid by the time we, we, you know, record this and everything, it's just, things really change. I want to talk about some of the other stuff going on. Um, You just tweeted out that they stuck in, what is it? 1.69 billion in hurricane aid to the FAA reauthorization bill. Here's what I'm confused about. I'm, I'm very confused, Nate. So we spend an awful lot of money on all of the agencies that deal with hurricane disaster as well as we do have something called states too. Now, I understand like it's built in that there's something called hurricanes. And last year we did have a lot, but that followed a 10-year drought, which most meteorologists, climatologists say was one of the deepest hurricane droughts we've ever had a decade of almost nothing landing in America and then this year again has been a very dry year dry meaning you know just low frequency of them we only had one hurricane to fit uh, to, to to land and I don't want to diminish it but it did ultimately land as a category 1 not as a category 4 so wouldn't you have balances of funds that would reflect that that you know I can understand if you have 5 years in a row of above normal hurricane activity, you might need more funding. But doesn't that mean we either spent it on other accounts over the years um, or never had the money? It's not just about, oh, we had one hurricane this year, so we need more money. I don't get it. So before we get into that, I just want to complain that I spent about that that Hurricane Florence landing as a Category 1. I spent the night before staying up until about 2 a.m. setting up my night to Columbus Council's emergency response plan if this thing actually did hit D.C., but that's neither here nor there. I mean, look, it's it's nobody likes to spend money responsibly in D.C. Well, sorry, very, very few people like to spend money responsibly here. Nobody wants to put away the requisite amount of funds that you need for a literal raining like hell day when you have a hurricane. Right. So we spend all this money up front to keep the lights on and to keep everything running. But apparently we never invest the kind of money that we actually need for disaster relief. And this is a federalism problem, too, because Lord knows states and local governments apparently never seem to put up the kind of money that they need to actually address these things, which is why they always end up running to the federal government. You know, no one seems to have the necessary foresight to say maybe we should start putting away a nest egg to actually do this instead of blowing out our debt every single time a hurricane prone area gets hit with a hurricane that we have no intention of really paying back at any point in the future that we don't have to pass under regular rules because it's quote emergency funding. This was an emergency funding in this case, but usually the bigger stuff, Sandy and Maria and everybody, everything else, you know, it's just, it's just total fiscal irresponsibility. And then of course you have, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't think you have to name names in this situation. You see a lot of otherwise fiscally conservative stalwarts who come from the states where these natural disasters hit, and they end up in a bind because 
yeah. their constituents are completely screwed over because nobody adequately prepared for a disaster. And now they need the emergency funding because everyone was so damn short-sighted. And that's the problem. <sighs> this is what's just so frustrating because then we get the greatest common factor of everyone squishing out. And even the good guys, you know, they have this stuff in their states. And, and this is built on top of the record cromnibus that they just passed. So it's like, you know, it's never enough. They always double and triple dip and forget that we just passed something else. Um, by the way, it's funny. I just saw Thomas Massey tweeted out and mentioned that more Democrats in the House voted for the Cromnibus than Republicans did. It was like 185 oh, yeah. versus 179 Republicans. And I mean, remember, every one of these Democrats on the committee that's despicable and cruel and whatever, from Harris to Hirono to Spartacus, they all voted for it. I mean, that's why, I mean, a lot of this is just so fake. It's not that the fight on this isn't real. It's that I feel like, I feel we've reached a point in the country that everyone with their binary idolatries, even if you had Jeff Flake or Susan Collins as president of the United States, you wouldn't suddenly have like a kumbaya work together. I mean, they'd work together in the sense of 90% of what's actually passed but no one focuses on will be Democrat priorities. But you're going to always reach some point where they're going to get violent. Susan Collins is Hitler. Susan Collins is a fascist. There's got to be some point just because there's two teams, not, not, not in terms of policy outcomes, but in terms of power, which leads me to my final question. If you could give us an update with this violence going on, um, I haven't been in the corridors of Cannon and Rayburn and these buildings in a while, but you know, there's the news that Andy Harris was a, was assaulted, and the thought was going through my mind as I was seeing this. People was like, "Holy hell! I wouldn't want to be on the ground with the members and the staff." I mean, whoever you are, Republican, Democrat, we all want open access. But I mean, if you have mobs of people, what's going on, and what's what, what are Capitol Police doing there? So. You had these pro-marijuana folks who said they were going to do something like, I can't remember, they were calling like an overdose or a smoke out where they're trying to confront them. And he went to his office. They tried to force their way in the door. When you, you can see that there's video of that I posted yesterday on my Twitter, you can see the video of him trying to, to stop it. He says that apparently his hand got caught in the door. And Capitol Hill police had to respond to this, and they had to lock a couple of them. They had to arrest a couple of them, lock down the floor to keep everything safe. And then at the same time this is happening, You've got white powder being sent to Ted Cruz's campaign office in Houston. And then I'm not sure if it was yesterday or the day before at this point, you also had rice and sent to somebody sent rice into the Pentagon. Uh, we're reaching. Look, I, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to hide it. I, uh, it's, it's a dangerous time. There's, there, there's a reason that I'm a gun owner. There's a reason that I, I you know, I, I keep a Ruger very, very close to where I sleep. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a scary, frustrating, depressing time to be in politics just because folks are no longer able to have a disagreement over something without doing some, without reverting to the violent, the insane, the out there. And it's because they've whipped themselves. So many of them have just whipped themselves up into this eschatological fury because they believe that, that, well, you know, their world is politics. You know, they're end all be all. They don't have anything over this. So many of them. So this this is akin to the end of the world. This Trump administration, these Republicans being in power. And so all the rules at that point go out. And so, yeah, you, you can try to, you know, 
barge your, you know, force your way into a congressman's office and do all this other crazy stuff. It's, you know, you go in and you, you deal with it and you do everything you can to keep yourself safe. You know, a member from Florida once told me that uh, during one of these dreamer sit-ins, one of them defecated on the floor of the bathroom in the office. Um, so, you know, there's there's that. And I, I just like I, – I guess my point is philosophically, if the left is this militarized beyond repair, why not just go all out? I mean that's the irony. They get nothing for everything they give them. Every you, – you see this. Every floor speech – about immigration, it's all about the feelings and needs of the invaders and not the gangs and drugs that they're bringing in and endangering us and gaming out the system and all that. About healthcare, it's all from their premise. About affirmative action, you know, it's all from their premise. Oh, promote women in this, promote minorities in this. And what, what I'm, I guess what I'm struggling with is I don't think this has much to do with Trump, even though. Most people would say it's everything to do with Trump. I think it has to do with the values of this country mixed with technology where we've reached a point of no return, where we're always going to up the ante with every subsequent administration. It was pretty bad with Bush. Bush is Hitler. That was, that was a meme all over the place. They got pretty pretty nasty with that. And what I'm trying to say is you don't have to be a Trump type of guy if you had President Susan Collins. Okay, Try to think about that for a minute. I, I, at the end of the day, you because it's it's Coke versus Pepsi, it's the Red Sox versus the Yankees. You do have to reach a point. So let's say, okay, you know Susan Collins agrees to sign an amnesty bill. She signs Medicare for all, whatever it is they want. But you're going to reach some point that the more you satiate their truculence, the more they'll be unsatiated. And let me just give her an example. They'll say, okay, now the time has come. To, for reparations, I'm just picking that out of out of the hat. You could pick any other thing, you know, the next tier, and even she would say, uh, "No, I I don't want to do that." You're gonna spark a fight with their base, and you're gonna have this acrimony, and it's all gonna boil down to that. All the while, our base doesn't realize we're losing it. We lost it. <laughs> There's always mm-hmm. the next fight. There's no There's no floor to this. That's my concern. There's no floor to it, and at the same time, there's so much of the conservative base that just spends its time reacting. And well, not necessarily the conservative base, but conservative lawmakers, conservative politicians, Republican—I should rather say—politicians and lawmakers spend so much of their own time responding to the left instead of setting their own agenda. Many of them because they don't have an agenda. Many of them because their entire agenda is reactionary. But. As long as you're stuck in that cycle of constantly having to defend and react instead of going on offense and pushing something that you believe in, if you believe in something, then you're going to be in that position where it doesn't matter if Donald Trump or Mitt Romney or Susan Collins or John Kasich is in the White House. It doesn't matter how civil or uncivil you try to be. It, it will, there will never be a floor to the tactics used to advance the agenda of quote-unquote progress. We realize this. Uh, the, the the simple study in history. The 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 only reason. Uh, well, no, it's not the only reason. I'm trying to figure out a way to con- to formulate this because it's it's just been said so many times. Donald Trump. Yeah, he's a shock to the system of so many leftists who are used to seeing 
Republicans without spines that are squishy and mushy and easy to manipulate and get to capitulate on on any number of things once you shame them enough. They're ter- they, they responded so viscerally to Donald Trump because they were used to calling Mitt Romney and George Bush a Nazi. <laughs> and then they actually had somebody who wasn't nearly that much of a jellyfish at least in his, his tone and his approach to this thing. But then my concern is on the other hand, and then, then you have the opioid crisis of the Republican Party, and I want to get to the real one, um, in the conservative base. I, I mentioned before I brought you on, think about this, think about this. One of the biggest top three news, news stories of today is Trump mocks Christine Ford. Now, forget about the whether it was mocking or not, just pointing out basic inconsistencies. But, you know, he had a rally and I could picture some of our base, you know, eating it up. Like, you know, we, we didn't hear stuff like that from the Bush type of Republicans before. But, Nate, guess where he delivered that? He delivered it from a rally for Cindy Hyde Smith, the rhino appointed McConnell handpick successor, successor of Thad Cochran, who was a Democrat until a couple of years ago. When you have a guy like Chris McDaniel, who arguably spawned the Trump movement. You know, as another option, it's an open seat. What the heck? I mean, that's the irony of all of this. The irony to me is on the same day that the Senate Judiciary Committee passed out Kavanaugh at high noon, Donald J. Trump signed into law what is likely the biggest budget and policy betrayal of a majority party to its base, giving every one of these people from Spartacus to Hirono to the Congressional Progressive Caucus a victory on every single issue. Like, what is it going to yeah. get to? I, I can't even get off the ground where I, you know, 2012, 2013, I felt like we could at least get our movement talking about these issues. And I'm, I'm not talking about the last two weeks, Nate. I understand. Like, okay, that's when you got sex and Supreme Court mixed together. Forget it. I mean, <laughs> you're not going to talk yeah. over that. But it was like this before, and it's going to be like that after the dust settles, too. Um, my question to you is what happens, best case scenario, which I, I think is very unlikely, um, Republicans narrowly keep the House, status quo in the Senate, give or take a seat. What happens afterwards? What changes? What, what, what do the next two years look like in Congress? It's really hard to say. There are so many dynamics at play, but a lot of this is going to hinge on – how the speaker's race goes in the House. And again, all right, so yeah, best case scenario, the Republicans nearly keep the House. And then um, they, I'd say there's a realistic net gain of three in the Senate at this point still. There's an opportunity. I mean, but, but aren't they behind, Republicans are behind in Nevada and in many polls in Arizona. Well, Nevada, Arizona, but then again, you've got Montana, North Dakota, West Virginia, which are which are also likely pickups. Uh, Holly's rallying in Missouri. It's it's all very fluid. But there's what I will say is there's going to be an opportunity there. Whether or not anyone takes the moment to seize this and really hard charge on the the bread and butter issues that they weren't able to deliver on with a 52 or 51 seat majority in the Senate, you know, maybe getting to 53, 54, who knows. But that is always the question of whether anybody still has the fight, is going to have the fight in them next January to go through with this, assuming that 
they they're assuming that Republicans still have the House. Yeah, and and you know you just look at the sheer number of vacancies and the seats that, according to press reports, the NRCC has already abandoned with ads. And these aren't like you know your one to ten that they need to pick up. These are like, in my view, some of them thirty to forty. Um, Western Pennsylvania. I mean, Keith Rothfuss. They've they've given up on him. They've given up on Yoder, who's a MS thirteen Republican. But you know, you got him there. Um, I'm just not seeing when do we finally settle down, because I'm just telling you, commensurate with what they capitulate to the Democrats on, it's never enough. It's not like they're going to be like, man, you guys rock. I mean, we have no power, and you gave us everything we wanted in the budget. You know what? We're really going to tell us a priority you want us to work with. No, they're more vicious than they ever are while they're capitulated to them. I mean – and that's what I just feel like. You know, they'd learn. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this right now as as we're talking. You're following this. I want to. You know, I know you got to get back to this. McConnell announced the Senate would vote on passing the opioid agreement this afternoon. A, a compilation of like 70 disparate pieces of legislation, all defining the opioid crisis as a healthcare prescription crisis. Almost nothing. Very little dealing with the illicit drugs pouring in. Um, there's a Washington. Times article and get to later on how a whole number of adult men are exploiting the UAC loophole. That's where you're getting a lot of your drug runners from. And meanwhile, in the very budget bill, they actually have three provisions to encourage and incentivize the flow by being nicer and coming up with a strategy to unify, to, to, to identify the lost, broken families and to allow private citizens to donate to them. And I'm thinking like, dude. I mean, nothing has changed. I mean, and and I, I I'm just not sure what it's going to take to get the base on on their members. I mean, in your view, do, do the Democrats have the same problem? If the Democrats were to give Republicans everything they wanted, like let's say they defund Obamacare and fight immigration, a budget when they have all three branches, do you think their base, their voters, would just take that sitting down? No. Ignore the primaries. Absolutely not. No, and that's the thing. And you would actually see, you know, these folks who are who are you know defecating on floors and in congressional bathrooms, and who are, you know, who are doing, hosting all these die-ins. They would jump all over anybody who was remotely or moderate Democrat to really force the progressive agenda through. Now, there's no class of there's no class of you know people that you can just bust in on the right to to do these things on on on, a, on the shoestring budget, but. You can bet that the, that astroturf approach they take to literally everything from immigration to Roe v. Wade to Kavanaugh to blah, 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 blah. They'd be all over their own members. They'd be all over moderate Democrats in a heartbeat if they saw the same, if the progressive grassroots saw the same kind of product from a trifecta Democratic government as conservatives have gotten from trifecta Republican government. Why, why is it? Well, why, why do you see that dichotomy where – the Democrat base expects and gets so much more from their party, and whereas the expectations of our base are just like, just, just, just give me a Supreme Court nominee, baby. That's all I want. I, I hear it. I hear it from average Republican voters in my neighborhood. That's a sixty-four thousand dollars question, <laughs> and one that I'm still trying to. I I don't know what it takes. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe ultimately the what I come down to, and maybe I'm. I'm I'm always speaking in too broad of a brush when I get down to stuff like this because the the question is so broad. You know, between 
there's the generic worldview of the right and there's the generic worldview of the left. The generic worldview of the right is incredibly skeptical of government, even when the, even when some folks in that movement don't entirely act like it. Uh, but ultimately, whether you're conservative, libertarian, whatever, wherever you fit in on that spectrum, you're skeptical of government. You don't want to do that much. And you ultimately want to be left alone by it. That doesn't mm. generate the same kind of quasi-religious fervor as if uh, the, the generic leftist post-Hegelian worldview of the state being the only agent of upward progress, uh. right? That, that does generate a religious fervor, whereas most people on the right, they put all their religious fervor into, you know, religion. Yeah, I, I think that's the big difference there. Wow. No, that's that I think is really important because you, know, you have folks like us that are always trying to come up with solutions. We need to get in and do this and do this. And I, I think ultimately we're right because you know there's been a hundred year or so bloodless coup on our constitutional system and you need to get certain things done if we want to reorient it. But therein lies the, the irony. I mean, our people aren't revolutionaries. Um, they're just not like that. They're too busy with their families and whatever and their own God. They, they don't look towards government and politics for satisfaction in life. Um, I, I, I really wonder how, you know, what we're going to do. And the, the problem is every once in a while, when you do see our base kind of engage, it all goes into this black hole and it goes into wherever the media, the conservative media responding to it says the fight is, but it, it, it's like, We've gone – you see it, Nate. We've gone backwards in primary challenges, backwards. We, we can't even get on the map the most egregious people like you know, just totally violating us. Um, we can't get anywhere. I mean Chris McDaniel, he's not going to get a penny. No one's focused on that even though like he really represents everything that the MAGA movement wants. Um, he was the original guy. You have this very low name ID random person picked there, it should be easy to pick off. And, you know, I, I just can't get anyone engaged. And what, what, what I have a hard time respecting from some of our colleagues, they're like, Daniel, I can't start a new party. Like, I could, I could respect that if they work tooth and nail in the primaries to at least try to change things, but they're nowhere to be seen. So, like, well, if you're not going to start a new party, and you're not going to work on the primaries, and you're not going to engage on you know, the policy fights and get in their face on the individual issues and focus on it between the two-year intervals. So just freaking voting behind a curtain for five minutes on a, the first Tuesday every other November ain't going to cut it. But I think it's just so easy to tell our people, look, you're busy. J- just just make sure every other November just vote Republican and, you know, all your ails or uh, ailments will be taken care of. Yeah, I think that's... That's the long and the short of it. Uh, and you know, the other option is to sit around and applaud every crumb and scrap that comes from the table as, as a banquet unto itself. And that's kind of what's gone on. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of been the modus operandi for the past 18 months is every little thing that, let's face it, for having th- control of three branches of the federal government or con- well, control of, of you know, House, Senate, Oval Office – the conservative media and the movement and, you know, everybody else have, have cheered a lot of this stuff, you know, you're turning door prizes into grand prizes. That's a really good example. And, and, and one of the points I've been making, Nate, that a lot of the things that we see that are good, even the ones that legitimately, I think, are new, in other words, 
it wasn't done even under a previous Republican president. And it's not Trump's fault. It's just the nature of what they are. They're fleeting. In other words, the Demo- it's just turning a switch off, but you could always turn the switch on, whereas once you install the detonator and the bomb, we have to deal with it, and that's more the Democrat policies. And a great example of this is um, you know, with refugees. I, I genuinely think that this is one area where you know the executive branch is given under current statute the full authority to set the cap. And I got to give it to him. You know, the cap was seventy thousand for a number of years. Obama raised it to eighty-five thousand, then one hundred and ten thousand at the end. Last two years of his presidency, last year Trump, I, I think it was like twenty-three thousand we brought in, and that that's that's real progress. Um, that is that is good. But even that, it, it's literally. The minute a Democrat comes in, they could just turn the spigot back on and they'll say, hey, you know, we need to make up ground, so let's set it at 150000 Whereas if you had a conservative party, what you would do is pass systemic reforms where, for example, you'd have Scott Perry's bill where you give the state – you have to get the state buy-in. The state legislature and governor have to sign off with an affirmative vote in order to do it. That would create a dependency. You know, like they're always comparing – uh, creating dependency, we would create in the refugee system where states get that say. It would be very hard to statutorily take that away, and certainly, um, you know, executively, you couldn't take that away if we passed a law. This is this is what bothers me. So everyone's like, Daniel, look, you can't deny that these are differences, but I'm saying you're right. But you got to look at over a 10, 15 year window. It's like you could look at the stock market for a day or a week and it went up, but look at a trend. And over over a few years, and I'm not seeing any trend of fiscal, social, or security issues or immigration where we're actually winning in the long run. No, because that that's a, that's a forethought. That's that's a long term strategy. That's a coordination. That's that's consideration that most politicians just don't have. Well, right? Nate, that just in general, just don't have that. And certainly, not and they on don't operate on that. You know, no. they 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 have the political morphine. I think you and I need to invent the political Narcan or naloxone <laughs> to <laughs> reverse the effects. Um, I don't know what it's going to take, but keep us updated. Where could our listeners um, watch your videos, your your briefs, your Capitol Hill briefs, and follow you on Twitter? So uh, follow me on Twitter at Nate Madden CRTV, and you can watch all the video content that I produce from Capitol Hill. Uh, on the Capitol Hill Brief Facebook Watch page. Facebook Watch page. There you have it. And make sure you get your CRTV uh, subscription. Thanks, Nate. We're going to hear from you in the coming weeks, you know, as the election gets closer on the ground reporting so I could sit in the comfort of my office and uh, not get harassed by the defecators. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for joining us. And anyway, we're over time here. Send me your notes. Email me at dhorowitz at crtv.com. Tweet me at armconservative. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.